Hello and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I love you. And this week, brief trigger warning, you're gonna, if you watch this movie, you're gonna hear every racial slur that ever was and see some horrendous violence and abuse. Yes, you will. Welcome to Full Metal Jacket Week here on the podcast. Before we get started, this is a loaded question because this pot, this, this will drop, FYI, on the 24th of this month. Okay, so we're traveling through time. So how was your week? Slipping into the future, I recover from the surgery really well. Yep, you're totally healed all over already. Yes, <laughs> and I am back to hiking and martial arts. It only took four days. Four days. Four days. Yes. So in the real world where we are recording, it is the 15th yes, of March. Your ske- surgery is scheduled for 20... Six hours from right now. Yes. And so we are doing one final record before you go in. And uh-huh. hopefully when you come back out, you will be up to recording sometime the week after. Yeah. Uh, and we are going to do our best to stay on a regular schedule. But your health and well-being comes first. And also, like we said before, I don't want to just tell you a story and have you go, uh Right. <laughs> So well, hopefully it will all work out really well. Um, now that we know what the problem is, because a lot of it was them casting about trying to find out what the issue was and, and uh, why I was feeling sick, and and now that they discovered how severe it is, hopefully it will all be taken care of tomorrow, one way or the other. One way or the other. Yeah. Well, one, one way. way. Right. <laughs> one way. The other is uh, less preferable and will cause me to uh, lose my damn mind. So. Uh, thoughts and prayers welcome <laughs> from our uh, our listeners, um, but we do want to continue as best as we can just to keep, if nothing else, keep some normalcy right. in your life, which is, which is not normal right now. Right. When I was in the hospital um, a few weeks ago, just the lack of my daily routine was bothering me. Yeah. It became one long amorphous event between sunlight and dark, which is, um, but it was one long kind of, um, there was no structure of the day. I think the only thing that you realized was passing the time was uh, the meals you were given. Yeah. And, and I know that you have time keeping track of, or you have trouble keeping track of time at the best of times. <laughs> That's possible. And now a spring stole an hour from you. Yeah. It's been a whole mess. But, um, but, yeah, this recording is actually good for me. Good. You want to talk about this very well, scary well, movie? How it went? Oh, week. my week. Um, in real time, I did leave you for a weekend to oh. see uh, another friend uh-huh. who uh, is also dealing with some health issues, and I wanted to see before he goes in for surgery. We right. don't need to go into his business, but I was able to spend some time with him uh, and get away and. Uh, stop doing four things at the same time, which is what my brain has decided how I have to sort of cope with everything is by doing everything all at once. And uh, that's impossible and exhausting. So it was nice to be able to do well, one thing a, at a time. It's a thing to see from the outside. The sort of juggling act that you do with your time. It's uh, very, it's difficult. It's yeah, very hard. It is, I'm sure. Um, and I'm not doing anything to the best of my abilities, uh, which is also difficult. So we're doing our best. 
<laughs> as I grommet smile over here. Um, and we did watch a movie. Now, both of us had seen this movie before, so we're not late to it, right. per se. What is your experience with this film? Um, I saw the film. I can't remember if I... I saw it years and years ago, I think when I was living in Alameda. Okay. Uh, with my roommate, Forrest. So this movie came out in uh, 1987. Right. I did not see it then because I was a child. I believe I saw it in school for some reason, which seems insane. Right. It must have been college, if that's the case. But I don't remember when I first saw it. Really? How old, like, how old would you have been? Mid twenties, probably. When I saw it for the first time, uh, yeah, yeah, I'd be in my late twenties. Late twenties, okay. Uh, but nineteen eighty-seven, it was like, God. I remember the advertising, all the people talking about it. That would be that was the year I graduated from high school, right? And so, I was seven, so I didn't. I yeah. don't have any recollection of when it came out, which is uh, maybe the only good parenting my parents ever did <laughs> was not expose me to this film. Uh, and did you like it when you saw it the first time? Um, I, like a lot of people, thought the first half and the second half were not quite as cohesive. I saw it better this time. I see the natural, the, the through line. I think, yes. I think on a second viewing or a right. third viewing, I think I've seen it three times now, this viewing, finally, it didn't feel so disjointed. Yeah. But that first viewing, uh -huh. that that cut in the middle, which I thought was actually, I had previously thought, and I paused it this time to see exactly when it was. Right. This movie is an hour and 57 minutes long. Uh-huh. And I always had in my head that the boot camp segment was like two-thirds of it. Right. And the end was less. And that's yeah. why I was like, why are we even why don't we just doing that this? Out? Right, yeah. exactly. But that is not the truth. The, the boot camp segment ends at 45 minutes almost exactly. And the last hour and 15 minutes, I had it basically switched, mm -hmm. is Vietnam itself. Um, so, but that part still doesn't resonate with me the same way okay. that the first part does. So, uh, and and you said you, you kind of felt similar, like... It, I felt, the first time I saw it, it's like, th this feels like two movies joined together. It's like there could have been, um, I mean, nowadays, I think they would have expanded or inflated all the stuff that happens in the uh, boot camp segment to make a separate film, you know, part one and part two. But yeah, I think that's probably right. Um, but, yeah, when I first saw the film, I felt like, I was sort of confused by it because I'm like, this is a very strange way to go. Mm -hmm. And then this time, though, I saw that there's a through line that goes all the way through where some of the same characters yeah. or versions of the same characters pop up later on in life. Yeah. And now that we know who Joker is. That's the other part is I had a lot of trouble, the, I think, the first time I watched yeah. it. I didn't have a connection to Matthew Modine. Right. And he looks so different in the first part as in the second yeah. part that it wasn't able to pull me through with, okay. oh, this is the same character we've been with the whole time, right. primarily. Um, and I think that's partly, you know, just my own 
mm-hmm. like weird face blindness issue that I have with white dudes. <laughs> Especially if you change their hair, which yeah. they do in this yeah. one, right? So he is shaved bald at the beginning, and I don't even think you see him shaved at the in the first scene. That's that's how this movie opens, is mm-hmm. all of these men are getting their hair right. shorn. Shorn, shorn. Uh, like sheep, yes, very much. Um, for it to prep prep them for for a Marines boot camp, and I don't. I think maybe if you if I'd seen him with long hair, right, watched him get it taken off, and then seen him with it long again, that would have helped me when I the first time through, um, because yeah, I was just like I don't, I know this is the same guy, but I don't like know this is the same guy. Yeah. Like, I know in my brain that it is true, but I have not made that full connection all the way through the first time I saw it. But this time I think it did work better. Um, I might just have seen Matthew Modine and more things. So I was like, right, same actor, same actor, same actor. I'm there. I'm with it. Uh, but they, there's such a sort of, it's almost like he, this is a terrible an- analogy, but it's what my brain is doing. So here's, here's my, analogy the way that joker and the way that we follow joker through the film is almost like the way you see a a character in a regency doing a dance in a ballroom where you're with him and he's dancing with her Mm -hmm. and then she's dancing with him and then he you know Mm -hmm. we're kind of going in these pairs around the it's not a ballroom it's a it's barracks and then it's you know actual war but he links up with people and then they're together and then we see splinters off into their world and then back to the main group and then splinters off into this group and then back to the main group and that does work i think once you are through it once and know what's going to happen but i feel like that it is distracting um to me the fact that the first and the second half of the film is share only one other character other than Joker. He's really just cowboy, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's it. So you're l- meeting all these characters that you're never going to meet again. Yeah. And I suppose that was part of it. It was taken from a book and it was a man writing his own experiences. Right. A man who apparently uh, was deeply unhinged afterwards. To the I point mean, that's... Where so we're going to talk about this film in its two pieces. The before and the after, or the pre and the during, depending on what thing you're talking about. Um, but we're not going to go into super detail about the plot points, because it's just a lot of little things that don't, like, they all matter, but they don't matter the order necessarily. And then yeah. we'll talk about the second half when we get to the second half. And those are going to be the way, instead of doing, and then, and then, and then, which is right. how we normally do this, isn't it? It's not a plot-heavy Well, Kubrick doesn't do very movie. plot-heavy movies. Right, that's I true. I mean, if you try to describe the plot of 2001, it's it's really strange. It's like, yes, and it comes to Earth, and it, we learn how to use a weapon, and then it jumps thousands of years in the future, and there's yeah. someone looking for another monolith on the moon, and then there's a mission to Jupiter's moon to look for this monolith, Yeah. and then Commander Bowman turns into the Star Child. That's, there's like four separate acts. Right. And it... But there's not much other than that happening. Right. And, like, even The Shining, right? Yeah. It's a family goes to this thing and then, you know, chaos ensues. Right. 
that's that's the plot of the film. Yeah. That's it. Like it, it the his log lines and his plots are basically, basically identical. Yeah, it's really funny in terms of a treatment. I think that things that he did for other people that he directed for other people, things like Spartacus and and uh, and uh, well, when he did The Shining, those are more complex because they were written by somebody else, right? Um, whereas, but given left to his own devices, right, he left just, his own devices, and when he's working with a screenwriter like he did with Arthur C. Clarke. Um, and all, and with the, the screenwriters here, it's just there's a minimal, uh, a min, minimum of dialogue, and just a lot of really striking images that stay with you. Yes. So that yeah, touching on every point of the plot, it's like, well, that's kind of counterproductive in this case. Yeah. So the first, the first half of this movie takes place at um, oh I've forgotten the name of it once Paris Island it's Paris Island because they call it the island later yeah. so I couldn't remember um, so it's Paris Island a uh, a boot camp for I'm going to presume drafted marines all of these men seem to have been uprooted from their home against their will. I don't know that it's ever clarified where explicitly yeah. stated who signed up and who was drafted, but the draft definitely was in place. And Joker doesn't seem to want to be nobody really wants to, nobody wants to be first of all, right. y'all, nobody wants to be treated the way that marines are treated and 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 it is i have learned or i had learned previously uh and the impression on the out of the outside world is and please do not, do understand i have never been in a military right. uh branch um but the marines their whole deal is to take you apart so you are not even a person anymore and then build you up into the perfect marine which is a a terrible mission statement and will lead to terrible things. I bet that similar breakdowns happened. Yes, I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. Uh, just in the fact that here's, here's, it's probably less true in the mid 80s than it is now. But if you want to make a movie with anything having to do with the military, the military has to sign off on the movie. Yeah. So it is pretty remarkable that this movie was even able to be made. It was uh, made in England. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> that's that's so. how. Okay. Because you know who has all the tanks? Right. The military. Right. You know who has an aircraft carrier? If you want to film on an aircraft carrier? The military. It's why most movies with the military in the... Um, you know, front and center in the movie right. are pro-military yes. because that's the only way you're going to get to play with their toys. And that's what these, you know, filmmakers are doing. Yeah. Is it cheaper to just borrow a tank than to have someone build one? Absolutely it is. Yes, yes. So, so, uh, uh, the uh, another piece of military and truth that is in this movie is our 
drill sergeant. He also makes this terrible abuse that he inflicts on these men funny, which is a nigh impossible thing to do. It's good that the screenwriters didn't even fucking try. They just let him do what he was going to do. And that man's name is Lee Ermey. It's R. Lee Ermey. Is it Ermey? Is that how you pronounce it? E-R-M-E-Y? I'm going to go with I'm going to go with yes. Mm -hmm. So R. Lee Ermey uh, is, is and was, he is dead. So he was an, an actor and a marine drill instructor. He was as good at this as he was because it is what he did day in, day out with his life. He, uh, in this film, he earned a Golden Globe nomination for Best Supporting Actor. And I'm a little surprised he didn't get it. Although, it's one of those things where it's like, well, do we give a man an acting award for doing his real job? Also, (laughs) I, I think that part of the problem is he's constantly shouting... Profanities. Profanities and racial epithets. At people, yeah. like, in their face. And so that might be... We didn't want to record that, at least not back then. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he is amazing to watch. So he was... And I'm just pulling off his Wikipedia page, everyone. He was... Uh, he was in a rural area in Washington, D- or Washington State. And uh, by 17, he had been arrested twice for criminal mischief. Yeah. And after a second arrest, the judge gave him a choice between the military and jail, and Army chose the military. And he enlisted at 17 in 1961 in the U.S. Marine Corps, went through recruit training at San Diego, uh, served in aviation support field for a few years before becoming a drill instructor in India. Company, 3rd Recruit Training Battalion, the Marine Corps Recruiting Depot in San Diego, where he was assigned for 67 to, 65 to 67, where for two years he just yelled at people all day, every day. Mm. Seems exhausting on the throat. Uh, and then he served in... He was Marine Wing Support in the air station in Futenma in Okina- Okinawa, J- Japan. Uh, Okin- is it Okinawa, Japan? Do we really Okinawa, say that? Well, I guess, it's I guess because, we do say yeah, it that way. Yeah, uh, he spent 14 charge, months yeah. in country in Vietnam. And then the rest of his time was in Okinawa, where he was advanced South Staff Sergeant, and then was retired in 1972 because of several injuries. In, 19, er, in 2002, he received an honorary promotion to gunnery sergeant by the com- commandants of the Marine Corps for his um, his time in Hollywood. And mm. his time in Hollywood started on Apocalypse Now, where he was both a small part as a helicopter pilot and a military consultant and that is what he was hired to do in many of the roles that he was in even if he wasn't on screen he was off screen saying this is how we would do it this is how it would be done this is the kind of things that we would say like this that and the other so he was a consultant and in that uh role uh he got hired for this and kubrick realized that 
nothing that he or a writer is going to come up with is going to sound as authentic well, as the... Kubrick was initially resistant to hiring him. Mm-hmm. And he had to, um, he had to, like, demonstrate how mean he could be because he was a very kind of, to Kubrick's mind, a very kind of genteel, soft-spoken kind of man until he... Because mm-hmm. it was, yeah. it was the uni- It was part of the uniform he would put right. on for them. It's the persona right. that he put on, which in in essence is a kind of acting, and I think that Kubrick saw that, and it's a, it's a really great that he, that he allowed for that. That he allowed uh, Ermi to to audition for the part because it's like God that I can't imagine what this movie would be without him. Without him, it wouldn't. I don't think it would be as successful. Yeah. The other thing about. I think as a drill instructor, you have to have this persona that you put on. Right. And your men have to also kind of know that that is a persona. Because they also have to rely on you because you are fundamentally taking care of them. Yeah. And it is this dichotomy of understanding that he will kick my, he will literally kick my ass. Mm -hmm. But fundamentally, he's here to make sure I don't die later. Like, that's the thing, right? And it is a mindfuck. Just that that relationship in and of itself is a mindfuck. The whole of it is a mindfuck. Sending somebody to Paris Island for six months to be unmade and remade so that they can get shipped off and probably die... And having them not run away at every... Like, I don't understand. Especially under the draft. If you chose to go there, that is different. If you are drafted and they are telling you constantly, you ain't shit and you're gonna die, well, then then why don't you just shoot me in the back as I climb over this fence? Because I don't think we need to waste everybody's time. (laughs) Like, that's... But but I am, you know... I am very fortunate that I have never been drafted. Uh... And there are people who want to be in the military. These people are not those people, though, I don't think. Uh, so he he kind of informs the first half of this film. He is the father of the first half of this film. Uh, and then we, like I said, the you know, the, that opening shot is just men getting shaved, getting right. shaved, getting shaved. And we are introduced to Joker. Private and later Sergeant J.T. Joker Davis. Who doesn't know when to keep his mouth shut? Yes, that seems to be his biggest characteristic. He's not a bad Marine. Like He's yeah. not a bad dude. He's not a bad Marine. But he is kind of a dipshit. Right. And he does open his mouth too often. Uh, the other primary character in the first part of the film is Leonard Lawrence, aka Gomer Pyle, which is how he is credited in the film. He is credited as Private Pyle, right. not under his actual name, played by a very young uh, Vincent D'Onofrio. This is one of his earlier roles. It's not his first role, but it is an early role for him. He was tasked once he was cast to put on 70 pounds. He's a big guy. He has a very large frame. He is, I believe, six foot seven. And to put, I I think a smaller man would probably have only had to put on 40 pounds. 
but he had to spread it over that whole frame. So he is he is why I think these men have been drafted, largely. He's clearly got a lower IQ than average. Um, he has he definitely has some learning disabilities, some comprehension di- difficulties. He is he 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 feels like a farm boy, right? Like he feels like he's first of all he's very up until he isn't extremely affable. He's got like a silly kind of grin on his face mm. at all times. Like his resting face is this this pleasant, soft, vacant look. He doesn't. He can't remember a lot of things. He is too big. He is too slow. And he doesn't understand the severity of the situation in which he finds himself and cannot acclimate to it. And that is the conflict for the first half of the film. Is just that in in a platoon in the Marines, whatever they call it, I don't know if it's called a platoon, that might be an army thing. Ooh. Uh, so I do I do apologize to anybody with military acumen. I have none, and I'm doing my best. Uh, that they're only going to get as far as their weakest link. So there's a lot of carrying him, moving him up, like physically pushing him. At one point, Joker becomes the team leader and has to basically one-on-one with him constantly. And right. he does it. He teaches him how to do his shoes better. He, like... They're going over drills. They're going over training. He goes through the obstacles with him, walking him through when they're not doing him so that he has the the knowledge and the understanding right. of how to do them when everybody is doing them. He's carrying him through runs. He's not carrying him because Vince Muffer is a giant man. Matthew Modine is not small, but he's not that big. Um, and he is... Uh, supporting him as best he can because everyone goes or no one goes. That's pretty much the way that it goes. Um, But at some point, a jelly donut is discovered in a footlocker because D'Onofrio has stolen a jelly donut, which he is not allowed to have at the best of times and is never allowed to have in the barracks. Um, And while he eats it, everybody has to do push-ups around him. Right. Which does instigate the men. And it's unclear here whether or not the beating of Pyle is instigated in the ranks of the men or was an order by the drill sergeant. I believe it was instigated by the men. Like I, I believe that that's correct, right. too. Because uh, the scene is, they discover the jelly donut the, uh, the drill sergeant, you know, insists they all do push-ups while he sits, stands there yes. eating his jelly donut. And then you see the men in their bunks and they're sort of grumbling. Yeah. Now, uh, Joker's in the bunk directly beneath. Yes, they're bunk mates now. So Zanafrio's yeah. above him, Joker's right below him. And he seems to be, like, he doesn't want to go through with this. He understands he what's about to happen. Yes. Uh but yeah, it's like he's frustrated too at this point. Yeah, and so- but but it's it's really it's hard because I think Joker knows fundamentally Leonard's doing 
right. the best Leonard can do. Yeah. And the best Leonard can do is never going to be enough for the U.S. Marines. It's just not. And I don't understand why they wouldn't just... Drop him. Drop him. Yeah. I, I, is it part he's an example? Maybe. I, it seems so deeply cruel and fucked up that I, I, and that's the thing I just can't right. get past. I don't, there's never a thing where it's like, we're going to let you go and, 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 and Leonard is like, no, please, let me have another chance. That's never a thing. Never, not once. Right. And I just don't... It's one man. Yeah. You really know that this is... He's cannon fodder, right? Like, right. But you won't release him and everybody else from this. It just... It's so deeply cruel to everyone. That 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 is my sort of sticking point where I'm just like, just let him go, just let him go. Um, but they do instigate what do they call it? Like a red. Yeah, it's some sort of like a chastisement where they, I think they put bars of soap. They put in their bars of soap in their socks. Socks. There we go. Yeah. So it's very much like the thing that um, he used in Mister Mercedes. Right. Right? With ball bearings and a yeah. sock. So it's got leverage. It won't leave... Bars of soap will hurt, uh-huh. but probably won't leave bruises because the 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 size distribution's big enough right. that you won't... Yeah. And they hold him down in his bunk, and all of them... Like, not all of them. There's a lot of men in that uh-huh. barrack, but, like, at least 15 of them come and beat him. Right. Well in bed and he's crying and he's begging them not to and they're like, Just remember this is, you know, this is for your own good or whatever. Like yeah, this is it's really bullying behavior. It's horrifying. Joker does cover his own ears at one point because he can't he does he gets up and does it right. and gets back in his bunk and then they let him go. And they all go back to their own bed. And he is, it's fucking heartbreaking. He yeah. is just screaming, ow, like a little kid. Like yeah. he sounds like a little kid. And he's just screaming, ow, and just sobbing, crying. And then we see him the next day and he is broken. He is not singing along or, or, or you know, he's right. doing his his physical body is doing the motions and maybe better than it ever has. But his brain, he's the smile on his face is no longer oh, genial. No, 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 no. He looks like he is just waiting to kill somebody. Uh, they do go and it's after this point where they start shooting. Uh, everybody has a rifle. They have to name it. They have to carry it around. They have to talk about it, and their dicks in the same sentence over and over again, which is deeply upsetting. I'm just like, hey, no women should ever marry any Marine who ever went to Nam because uh, their whole situation is fucked up. Not through any part of their own, but this is what they were trained to do, and now they are broken men. Uh, He... Uh, Joker brings up to Cowboy, I believe, when they're mopping the bathroom together. Hey, uh, 
I've heard Leonard talking to his gun because he was like taking it apart and putting it back together and oiling it and talking yeah. about how smooth everything was and how and uh, Cowboy's like I'm sure it was fine and then they went back to joking about fucking each other's sisters it's confusing because uh, there are also we have to keep in mind boys right Everyone in that barracks, other than that drill sergeant, is 18, 17, 18, or 19 years old. They're children. They're children who are being told constantly, fucking sack up or you're going to be killed. Right. So there's no, um, they don't, I think that Joker has a moral conscience. And I think he's also, we're following him because he's a little bit smarter than some of the other guys. He is. Uh, and that's why he eventually gets assigned where he does. But um, but going back to this story, uh, yeah, I think um, I think that there's a scene right after this where we find out that uh, Leonard or Lenny. Oh yeah, he did that on purpose, right? I'm guessing yes. The or the writer did. Right. Yes, he's very much like a Lenny from uh, Mice and Men. Oh, this is Lenny gone wrong. Here, this is well. Uh, his marksmanship becomes better. Well, his, his they hadn't even started marksmanship before right. the the thing. He is a excellent shot. Right. This but is his drill. His drills become better. He he yes. in unison with everyone else. He is. So he's slipping into being that soldier that the drill sergeant wants him to be. Yep. So he so so which just feeds that broken part of his brain right. that goes well now that I've totally lost my mind and I definitely want to kill I'm doing it right I figured right. it out which just feeds that same thing back in on itself um they all make it through training they are in their uniforms last day they all get assigned to their various things. Joker has been assigned to uh, to Stars and Stripes. He's going to write for the newspaper, mm-hmm. which, of course, gets a comment from the drill sergeant, but it is what it is. Right. And uh, Leonard makes infantry. He is going to be a Marine on the ground, except he is not. <laughs> because that night, uh, Joker is wa- uh, doing the watch, uh, so he is marching with his gun and a helmet. And I thought he was just in his boxers and um, and shirt, undershirt, mm-hmm. but he wasn't. He was actually wearing pants, like okay. like uh, fatigue pants and boots. But he, I was just like, he's just in his underwear and a helmet. What the fuck is happening right now with his gun on his arm? And he goes in because he hears somebody in the bathroom and nobody's supposed to be out of bed except him. Right. And the bathroom is, first of all, the bathroom is a nightmare. The bathroom is a nightmare. Y'all, the bathroom is a nightmare. It's just rows of toilets. It's just, oh, there's no stalls. There's, there's no it's privacy just at all. Rows of to- two rows of toilets facing each other. There's like 17, like just 20 toilets in this right. room. It's the stuff every nightmare I've ever had is made of. It's, as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, no, <laughs> this place is the fucking worst. I mean, it was already the worst, but this, like, even worse. There's no privacy, yeah. yeah. You're, you've seen all of these men shit, and they have all seen you shit. And it is terrible. 
Uh, he's in the bathroom and he's got his gun and he is loading it. This is with where, live ammunition. With live ammunition. Yes. Full metal jacket. That is where the. He says the name uh-huh. of the movie. So. Does Joker. Joker is in the bathroom. Sees him, finds him in the bathroom. Uh-huh. And is just like, Leonard, let's go back to bed. Like, let's stay calm. Let's. And Leonard is no longer with us. Right. And he stands up and he faces Joker. He's got a, a loaded weapon, which which I presume then now that Joker's weapon, though he is carrying it, is not loaded. Or maybe it isn't. He doesn't feel that he can actually draw in enough time to maybe. get a man who has a rifle. Or that he doesn't want to shoot this man. Right. Probably the case, too. Also, he doesn't want to shoot this man. And he gets, uh, uh, D'Onofrio gets up, Leonard, stands up and faces Joker, puts his um, his rifle on his shoulder, and starts shouting, which uh-huh. is what they all do. There's a lot of shouting in this movie. The Rifleman's Creed. This is my gun. There are many like it, but this one is mine. Right. Et cetera, et cetera. And that rouses the drill sergeant, who is... The, the the way that the barracks are set up is the bunk room is, is there and there's, there's a hallway and on one side of the hallway is the bathroom and on the other side of the hallway is the where the drill sergeant sleeps. He's got right. his own room. Probably with a bathroom in there. He yeah. probably gets his own bathroom with a door. <sighs> and he gets up and comes out and he is in his, I believe, his boxers and his undershirt and his hat, <laughs> which is... <laughs> <laughs> the symbol of his authority. Is the symbol of his, exactly. He's like, he's like, and he comes in, and he's like, "What the fuck is going on?" Basically, and Joker's like, "I feel like I need to tell you that this marine has a loaded weapon. Just so you know, <laughs> there is a live gun in this room." Right. And so that once again makes me think that Joker's is not. Loaded because yeah. he did not say also this one. This one is also loaded. And um the drill sergeant's who's what's his what's his character's name? Hartman. Hartman, that's right. Sergeant Gunnery Sergeant Hartman. Um does make the wrong decision here and decides that screaming at this man to get him to hand it over is the thing to do, and that does get him shot. We presume killed. He is shot one time in the chest and goes down, at which point I bet Joker pisses himself, because I would have, uh, because he's standing basically right right next to him when it happens, and he's like, well, now me. (laughs) But no, not him. D'Onofrio sits down on the toilet, turns that gun around, and does blow his own brains out in a very well done effect scene that is deeply upsetting and that is when i went pause only 45 minutes holy shit i definitely thought that part was longer and then there is a cut to vietnam that in another film would be would have the song um fortunate son or for what it's worth Right. Those are the big Vietnam songs that play over, see any scene in Forrest Gump. Um, but in this, I don't, it's not Wooly Bully now, but it's a, 
the songs that Kubrick chooses for these scenes, that is the most interesting part, I think, yeah. for, for me, for the second half. While we're in uh, Vietnam, there is rampant racism, uh-huh. uh, deep sex work, shame, and use. Like, they are shaming these uh, right. sex workers while uh, employing them regularly. So it's real fucked up. Um, and they are being pimped out by officers that are working with them, like, on their side. Like, cause, so the Vietnam, there is the people who are uh, fomenting this civil war. And then there are people in the Vietnamese people who are working with the Americans to right. stop that. That to those are the, the, yeah. so not all Vietnamese are against us, which makes me wonder even more how you knew who to kill in this war. Like on the ground, if you see a Vietnamese soldier, I mean, I presume their, their uniforms, uniforms are different. Right, yeah. That doesn't seem like enough to me. It's the same as the Civil War, though. It's just like, how do you know who to shoot? Um, and war requires the dehumanization of the enemy. So you're going to dehumanize the people and who are also that's on That's one side. of the complaints I have about this film. And uh, the audience members will excuse me for using this word. I kept getting worn down by the number of times they use the word goop to refer to Oh, God. To enemies. It's, it's constant. I only think... I think well, I think I've only heard the term Vietnamese used two or three times over the course of the film. No, that is the default word, constantly. Yeah. In and the newspaper office, on the street, right. between each other, between themselves and the Vietnamese. Yeah. They, just they would refer to themselves that way just because they were like, fuck it, like, let's just lean in because if right. we have to fight this as well as all of this other shit, like, it's... It was really... It's rough. It got to be a point where, like, wow, this is a little hard to take. But also accurate. It's the same yes, thing we uh, see in yeah. in in um, any war stuff in the in the set in the Middle East with the right. terrible terms that they use there constantly. And it's just so you can try and get yourself to a point where you're not you're killing not a person, you're not person. killing a human right. being, you're killing an enemy, something less than human. the point that comes up at the very end that Kubrick makes is just how human these people are. Yeah, of course they are. And They're people. Uh, yeah, but it's, you know, <sighs> up until this point, you don't ever see them, which was that another way. very yeah. clever touch. Yes. Yeah, the way, especially the way the last scene is structured, where you're not seeing, it's not hordes of humans. It's one person that you don't even see until the very, very end. Right. And it's not a person that you would think it would be. Yeah, exactly. Um, So we are, yes, we are in, the, the, the music choices are all dance hits of the 50s and 60s? Like, Wooly Bully is one of them. Um, I want to see if I can find the list. Music. Chapel of Love is in there. I like it like that. These boots are made for walking is what this one opens up on. Because it's the woman walking through the thing. And I'm like, oh, God, it's that racist line. Me love you long time. Me so horny. Me love you long time. Right. And which has been used in as stings in uh, rap songs and 
you know, yeah. jokes on all manner of things since this, but this is where it comes from. And, um, you know, Surfing Bird is another song in here. Like, it's, it's, but a lot of it is up tempo, either drug or dance songs that yeah. they're using, right? And, and then this is where we get into Joker. And he, it is right before the Tet Offensive, which is right around, it was on New, Lunar New Year, which is about our time. Now we know that they almost finished um, their training around Christmas. They were almost done around Christmas and he has grown his hair back. So he has been in, in country for at least a year, maybe 14 months um, or uh, a whole nother year on top yeah. of that. But I don't think so. What were you saying? I thought they gave a date uh, in the film, like a year later or something. I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah. So it's January of 1968, but we don't know when it was before. Uh, it wasn't 67. It was at least 66, right? It was Christmas of 66 if this is January of 68. At least a year has passed because um, his hair is, like I said, his hair has right. grown out. He's clearly been in country for a while, um, and he is basically sent to a frontline area because he irritates his editor. <laughs> basically, he says, why aren't you out going out in the field? And that guy is yeah. like, I did, and I'm done now, and I'm going to stay the fuck here. And right. now you go. You go out there and see how you like it. And he's got a photographer with him who is, uh, what is his name? Uh... Rafterman, private first class Rafterman. He's a combat photographer, but he hasn't really seen any combat. He wants to shoot somebody real fucking bad. Like that's yeah. Rafterman's whole thing. And they're out covering what's going on. They presume it's going to be a quiet week because of Tet. Tet is, they call it like Christmas, Thanksgiving, and New Year's, and New Year's all rolled into one. Yeah. Uh, which is accurate, uh -huh. but because they think that it's going to not be a big deal, they, of course, launched the Tet Offensive. I don't know much about Vietnam, which is kind of a shame because my father fought in it, but uh, he didn't talk about it, and um, I, I can't imagine why, mm. given the Vietnam movies that I've seen. I'm like, well, I fucking wouldn't talk about it either. Uh, and uh, where Joker is is attacked, but they were able to hold it off. Like hold off the it doesn't fall to to the um to the is it North Korea North not Korean Viet Cong the the Viet Cong is that what we call them Is that an okay term I think so Okay I just I'm scared Okay And then the next day. The journalists, the journalist pair, are sent to Fubai, where in Joker meets up with Cowboy, who is basically his best friend from the right from the from um, Paris Island. Yeah, uh, they were the ones like they're constantly joking that uh, Joker was going to 
fuck Cowboy's sister and Cowboy was like trying to broker that like he's like uh you got to pay me this much and I'll and you can get with her like it's these weird jokes of like hey Joker what do I have to do or hey hey Cowboy what do I have to do to to fuck your sister that would be various prices this is on I'm like if you ever met his sister, you wouldn't be able to say words. I know that's true. Like, um, and there, they he follows them up through, and they they he basically takes part in what is now known as the Battle of Way. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the town, in the city of Way, they are headed to Way. It's it's H U E. That's how it's pronounced, and. There's a booby trap that kills their squad leader, and Cowboy steps up to take over. And then there is a sort of, there's this contention in the battalion between Cowboy, who wants to wait for, Cowboy, who wants to wait for backup, a a tank um, cover, and Animal Mother <laughs> is the name of the character. It's played by Adam Baldwin right. of uh, Firefly fame. The non-Baldwin Baldwin. Yeah. He was also my bodyguard, right? right? Uh, he's a big dude who does play crazy fairly well. It's interesting. The part, he's the second big crazy dude of the film. The part was originally offered, or they were going to offer to Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, interesting. Which would have been, but he was doing the running man. I actually think it works better with no accent. I think you want an American-sounding person in this role. I was looking at that going, that would have been really good, but I don't know that at that point in his career, Arnold Schwarzenegger could be that reflective, like, oh yeah, this is the way that this character, the characters I play turn out, you know. Yeah. I'm doing Commando where I shoot 120 people. I and then this is what happens when yes. you, when that when you've right. done that. This yes. is the real version of that. Just a psycho who likes killing people. Yeah. And so they're shooting, they um, they're, they're scouting a building and they send someone ahead who gets taken out. Yeah. He but, gets, he's still alive uh-huh. but he has been shot and cannot make it back. By a sniper. By a sniper. And we should point out, this is Dorian Harewood. Who's a really, if you're my age or older, he was everywhere uh, on television in the movies. The the, yeah. the soldier that gets and taken also out? The point, he's, he's called Eight Ball. He is called Eight Ball. And this is probably solely because he's black. And there's oh, a, God, yeah. There's a lot of... I that's, think that's about th- that. <laughs> I just think because they're all bald. I, did, I forgot that an Eight Ball is black. Yeah. It's Woof. just it's one of those things where you're watching like oh and all of these names that they go by uh-huh. I don't know if Animal Mother is but all of the other Cowboy Joker mm-hmm. Eight Ball probably Cue Ball in the previous one right um, um I can't think of any or I can't think of other, uh, uh, any other names Pile right? Mm, right all of these names are given to them day one by their drill instructors. Right. And then that is just who they are. It is yeah. part of the um it is it is part of the initiation is you get a nickname and now that's who you are. That is your marine name. Nobody knows yeah. Joker's real name. They know his last name is Davis because it's printed on his fucking back. Yeah. But other than that, he's Joker. 
And and this is eight ball, and I didn't even fucking realize that eight balls are black, and that's gross. Ugh, woof. But he's we know he's still alive, and he's yelling. And and the medic goes, "I'm gonna go get him because I'm not right. I'm not gonna not. He's out there. He needs help. We're, I'm gonna go." And they lay down fire, but they cannot. The sniper is this is almost like a like an apartment building with a courtyard. They're in the courtyard. Yeah, They're outside of it. The sniper's like. It's on the inside, there's buildings. no way that they could. Yeah. They're going to lay down cover fire, but they're not firing at the sniper because they can't see where the sniper even is. Right. Um, and that medic also gets taken right. down. <laughs> so now there are two Marines. One's definitely alive. One, I, I believe the medic gets a headshot and is yeah. killed, um, but is still alive out there. And yeah. Animal Mother is like, we got to go. And Cowboy is trying to raise a tank. Um, battalion to come right to where they are and they're like yeah we don't know how long it's gonna it's we don't know it feels a little like um black hawk down this, this piece oh right. it's quite good but um they're basically stuck in a city center and they can't they're waiting for people to come out and they just keep getting voices on the radio like we know but we don't know when it's gonna happen we don't know when we're gonna get somebody there right. and animal mother is like Fuck it, we're going in. And he just, like, runs and fires. And he gets in far enough that he can say, okay, you can come this way, uh-huh. and the sniper won't get you. They're over there somewhere. You can come this way, and it's fine. There's no... Because they couldn't... What Cowboy couldn't tell was if it was one fire, one one person firing, or if there was a bunch... If it was a set up to bring them out and there was a bunch of uh combatants over there and animal mother go, runs and he's like no, no no it's one shooter right and they're over there so if you can go this way they can't get to you what you can't do is be in the middle of this courtyard which is what had happened to the other two and so they all get over there and they're strategizing and whatever. And Cowboy is looking and we see him being targeted through the, through like a window area. Mm-hmm. And he is too visible to the sniper and is killed. He is right. shot in the head. At which point, basically, Animal Mother's like, well, I'm in charge now. <laughs> and uh, they're going to go. Take and but he doesn't want to retreat. He even though it's one sniper, he's like, well, now they've killed four four people, three people, three people. Um, I we need to kill them. Like I, right. it's it's a revenge mission that they're well, four go people. On. You include the guy who fell into the trap, right? So, um, Rafterman and Joker and Animal Mother and maybe two or three other people are going through this burning building. It's gorgeous. And they do come up behind a woman yeah. sniper. Uh, and she is shot many times. I believe Joker shoots yeah. her. Is it well, Joker or Joker Animal is Mother? the one who, who discovers her first. And then she... Uh, I can't remember why he doesn't shoot her. Uh, his, his gun jams. Okay. He goes to shoot her and his gun jams. Yeah, and then Rifleman... Fills her full of bullets, right. but does not kill her. Yeah. And she is on the ground for a while. She is praying, and then she is just yelling, "Kill me! Shoot right. me! Kill me! Shoot me!" She's not yelling it. She can't. She's right. 
bleeding she out. She can't take out an inner breath. She's been shot in the lungs. It yes, like. yeah, it looks like she is riddled, riddled right. with bullets. And she is tiny, and she is probably younger than we think. Um, and uh, Joker does put the final shot and does right. shoot her in the head and kill her. And then they're, and then they, as night falls, they walk out. They're marching through again, and they're singing the Mickey Mouse, like M I C K Y, like that thing, right? Right. And there's a voiceover here. There's a voiceover at like three different parts in this film, and I actually kind of wish that none of it was there. I don't like the voiceover uh, aspect. I wish it was gonna be there more, or it wasn't there at all. And he says, because um, he, he he they there was a point previously where the drill sergeant had said you need to do what I say or you're going to be in a world of shit and he's like I am in a world of shit but I am glad to be alive and I'm no longer afraid and I'm like yeah the fuck you are yeah shooting a woman in the head doesn't take your fear away that's not what that does but and then that's it that's that's where it ends we don't know who survives other than that Joker, or that uh, Cowboy didn't, and Pyle didn't, and we don't know anything we else. We don't know if any of the people from his original group at Paris Highland survived. No? Um, we know the drill sergeant didn't. Didn't. Uh, well, we presume that he didn't. Right. Um, it, it it cuts. It's a hard cut after mm. D'Onofrio shoots himself in the head. Right. And there isn't, like, he died, or whatever. Like, we presume. Yeah. But we don't know. It's um, it's very violent. It's very graphic. It's a lot. Is it thrilling? Is this a... This is on the AFI top thrills. What do you think? I, I wouldn't... See, thrilling is... I think calling it thrilling is sort of diminishing the message of the movie. I agree with you. It's a war movie. It and is. It's an anti-war movie. It is. And I think the through line that I saw from the first part to the second part now is that for all of the training and abuse they underwent, this apparently 15-year-old gu- a girl took them out. You know what I mean? Yeah. She shot them and she took them out. She actually had something to fight for. These other people are... They're like I a, mean, they, like, especially if they're they've been drafted. Right, these are people who are fighting for their own homeland, and the American soldiers are people fighting because that, they they have to because they, they were to. told to. Because if they don't, they'll be straight killed. Right, and so the uh, that's what one of the through lines I felt was like. I'm watching all these uh, young men getting just sort of. You know, they, they sink or swim there yep. at the boot camp. And some of them uh, sink really badly. Yes. And then once they get in, into the field, they're not really taking it seriously. Joker doesn't seem to be taking it seriously. No, he, he doesn't. There's yeah. a whole thing about he's got, he wears a pin with a peace sign on it, which uh-huh. is a point of contention several times. But then he's got Born to Kill written on his right. helmet. And he's like, I think I'm making a statement about the duality of man. And I'm like, wow, you sound like a 19-year-old. And then I'm like, oh, right. You're a 19-year-old. Yeah. it's it's, You don't know shit about shit. And you are expected to be out here acting like a man. You're not a man. You're a child. And, yeah, his way of acting like a man is to put on his 
uh, John Wayne impersonation. Yes, he and does, he does do a John Wayne impersonation. He, uh, you're you're figuring it's like, oh God, this guy really does have this weird, distorted idea of what this is all going to be like. And his photographer, Mister, um, what was his name, uh, Rafterman. Yes. His photographer wants to be uh, animal mother. He really wants to be that guy because there's a couple yeah. of people that we run into. There's a, a helicopter pilot, a door gunner, um, who is trying to get a story written about him. He's as they're flying over the Vietnamese countryside. He's just taking random shots at people. And um, yes, he yes. First of all, Rafterman is sick in the copter like the the choppiness of the of the flight is making him fit like he looks like he's gonna vomit and this dude is sitting in the in the door of the thing with a large weapon Mm -hmm. just firing indiscriminately at the vietnamese on the ground and killing their livestock and whatever else he can yeah and he's like um, he ta- he says he he kills them. He kills women and children. He kills both sides. Right. The only good one is a dead one. Like, a- and why don't you write about me? And I'm just like, I mean, we have enough writing about psychopaths here in the states. We don't need to. But also because that's not the story that we're telling the people on the ground. Because that's right. the other through line of the second half is. There's too much anti-war sentiment in the U.S. and even in the military itself. Right. And we need to tamp that down. Yeah. So, you know, explicitly, they're not going to write about this guy. Because she'd... Because that, that would just underline all of the things that everybody thought right, was happening exactly. terribly over there. Like, and and it would, and it did. Which is why it's in the movie, but isn't in Stars and fucking Stripes. Right, well, know? if they don't want it, it getting out that, that this kind of thing is going on, you're right. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's a really, really... Because Kubrick produced Paths of Glory and some other... Spartacus can be seen as an anti-war movie. But this one really, really, uh, because it was probably the the modern day equivalent of those stories about a war that's in recent memory. I think that it really, um, it really drove the point home. And this was released, remember, at the same time as there were other films of the '80s circulating, like Rambo and Missing in Action, that were sort of glorifying what happened in Vietnam, and this is a film about, well, what happened in Vietnam was a mess, and we shouldn't have, you know, we didn't really have a great deal of business being there in the first place. No. And we did waste a lot of lives in the, uh, in trying to do this, this decent thing. Right, and if you didn't lose your life in Vietnam, you probably lost the rest of your life Right. From training and going to Vietnam. Yeah. I don't think anybody came out of there unscathed. Yeah. And families were decimated. You know, kids of that didn't fare right. particularly well, necessarily. Maybe. 
I might know something about that. <laughs> like, so yes, it's an anti-war film. I don't. I think putting it on the AFI thrills list is diminishing, but I think it's here because they wanted to honor in one of their lists, and this is the only right. one that they were going to be able to get it on, which is still not a good reason. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't. Um, it just feels like just reducing this to thrilling. There are parts in it that, in another context, mm-hmm. I would find thrilling. Yeah. Um, the word thrill means to me that there is some sort of joy in it. Right. It, you, even a joy in being scared. Right. Because that's a real thing. That's not what I get. I get a lot of racism and a lot of violence and a lot of abuse. Mm-hmm. And it is a tough fucking movie to watch. That, have, that having been said, it is certainly a top hundred something. For know. sure. It is a real, it's a, it's, it's a masterpiece. Do a, do a, do a war movie mm-hmm. list. Right. AFI. We've made enough. Right. You're gonna have some. I mean, and, and if it's only ten, you know, maybe I wonder if it's in the ten of ten. Too. I'm gonna check the AFI uh-huh. ten top ten. Um, animation, romantic comedy, western, sports, mystery. I feel like war should be one of them. Fantasy, sci-fi, gangster, courtroom drama, epic. Nope. There are some war movies in the epic section, but there isn't a war movie right, thing. Right, there should be. And maybe they didn't want to glorify war, but that's what you have tried to do by putting this on the thrills list. Right. So that seems disingenuous oh. to me. Um, no, it's very good. It's very difficult. Yeah. If you don't want to have any racism in your life for two hours, don't watch this movie. Yeah. Um, but, Yeah. It is worth watching. So, yeah, I think that um, I wouldn't say that I found it... Yeah, thrilling is not the word I would use. Um, Yeah. There's exciting parts. There's suspenseful parts. I think the final creep through the ruins of uh, the city while they're watching for the sniper, that really did keep me on the edge of my seat because you never knew when someone was going to get it. Yeah. Or what direction it was coming in. It really felt authentic. Um, but I, I don't know that I'd call that thrilling. It's, it's interesting that they chose to include it in their list. Yes. Yeah. So I'm glad we watched it. I'm glad we talked about it. But I wouldn't say that thrills are uh, its no. main export. No. So next week, uh, hopefully, mm-hmm. uh, we are going to be watching The China Syndrome, which is okay. a movie that we we watched fairly recently, and I thought we did for the show, but I don't see any recollect or any um, history of that. So we will be doing that. So we went searching for thrills this week and didn't quite find them. Next week, China Syndrome, 1979, and then The Night of the Living Dead. That will be thrilling. That will be thrilling. For sure, for sure, for sure. Yes. So those are our next two, hopefully. If there are changes to that schedule, I will post it on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, and I will try and repost older episodes that do fit on this list that we uh, have already talked about. So that hopefully we'll have some content out every week. Um, we're going to do our best to stay on this schedule, though. Until next week, uh, do you have anything that you want to recommend? Have you seen anything recently that you enjoyed um, that you would like to talk to our listeners about? I saw a movie last night 
It was pretty good. Um, which is surprising. Do you want to... Is that your recommendation too? Um... Maybe? Yeah. You start. Oh, well, The Adam Project. Yes. So we watched The Adam Project. Uh-huh. Ryan Reynolds' joint on Netflix drops this last weekend. The 11th, I think. Go. Tell us about it. It's actually really... It was fun. It was a fun movie. I don't really like Ryan Reynolds all that much, I think. It's just such a smartass. And, and uh, it that's basically what people hire him to do, be smartassery. But it was, um, the film was actually really fun. And it was, uh, I, I don't want to tell you too much about it because it's it starts with a time travel premise and some of the material was almost kind of familiar. But at the same time, it was it was funny. The, Brian Reynolds has a real good uh, chemistry with the uh, the actor playing his younger self in the film. Um, and there's some really good chemistry with him and uh, uh, Jen Garner. No, the actor playing his father. Oh, Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo. I love a Mark Ruffalo. And they're very funny together. So, yeah, I enjoyed it. It was Yeah, movie. it was really fun. The other piece of spectacular casting in that is the kid that plays, y'all, it's a time travel movie, the young version of Ryan Reynolds. Right. He's so good. He really, first of all, really looks like he could be a young version of Ryan Reynolds. This is his first acting gig, and he nails the smart-ass but sensitive uh-huh. little bits of uh, right. Ryan Reynolds. In a way that was very impressive to me. I was very impressed. Less impressed by some youngening of an actress. That There was just one effect where I was like, ooh, that's rough. But the whole of it was super fun. Not like It, it moved along at a pace. Yeah. Like We paused it for a break at like an hour in, and I was like, oh shit, we're over halfway through already. Right. Like... It was it was really really fun, uh, and you don't have to think too hard about it. Yes, it's a time travel movie, but yeah. you don't, it's not a thinky it one. It covers some of the same conventions that other time travel movies are covered. Of course, so you don't have to think too hard about right. it. Right, but you know, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, um, I'm gonna piggyback that because I thought there was another thing, but now I can't think of what it was. So it's like it never existed. Adam Project Netflix, check it out. And we'll be back next week with the China Syndrome once Lemuel is through his ordeals, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Uh, until then, uh, you can write us at latecomerspod at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at latecomerspod or on Facebook by searching latecomerspodcast in the search bar. Until next week, I would like to remind you, please take your medicines. All of your medicines. And we would like to remind you, better, better late, late than, than never. never.